Coming up on Valentine's Day, that's February the 14th. I just want to make sure every guy out there knows. On pay-per-view, Rick Springfield is doing something cool, releasing the film, orchestrating my life, concert, behind-the-scenes footage. He's always great when we have him on. Rick, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Rick. Hello, how are you guys? Good, great. good. Welcome back to the show. 40 years since Working Class Dog. Wow, that makes me feel old. <laughs> makes her feel old, too. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rick, what was, you know, when I was a young kid and I, I, you know, grew up in the 80s, 90s, and I bought your album and Working Class Dog, what was the cover, the dog on the cover, what was the thought process behind putting the dog on the cover? Uh, well, he was my dog. Okay. Um, I just split up with a, girlf- a girlfriend, and she found this dog and said, if you want, I knew you always wanted a bull terrier. If you if you want, a, want one, he's in the garage. So I <laughs> opened up the garage, and this black and white bull terrier came running at me and was love at first sight. And I I was, um, I'd had three albums out before this one, before Working Class Dog, and I had my photo on it, and I didn't, didn't want another you know, pretty boy shot on the, on a cover. So right. I wanted to have a little more edge cause punk was coming, you know, punk was already in full swing and, and guitars were starting to come back on the radio. And, uh, I remember walking down the street past Fairfax high school and there were a bunch of girls coming by and they all went, Oh my God, look at that dog. And I, so I thought, you know what? He hmm. gets more attention than I do. I'm going to put him on the cover. <laughs> yeah. so I, I went to a big and tall store and, uh, got a shirt. He had an 18 inch neck. So I had to go to the big and tall store to get the eight, 18 inch neck on the white shirt and, uh, dressed him up and took the photo. And it was, I had to convince RCA about it because they, I was on this TV show that was just starting to get big. And, and they said, they thought it was joking when I said, I want my dog on the cover, not <laughs> me, but I talked him into it. So got nominated for a Grammy, so I right. was kind of right, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so tell us about orchestrating my life and your work with, uh, what is it, the Santa Monica High School Orchestra? This is uh, really interesting. Yeah, it's um, uh, the greatest hits with an orchestra, but but when we came to film the show, I'd been doing a couple of orchestra, orchestra shows, but when we came to film it, I wanted there to be you know, a, re- a reason behind just filming than just doing the hits with an orchestra. So we, I'd, I'd met, I'd worked with the Santa Monica High Orchestra before in a Christmas special. Just, I was invited in to sing a couple of songs. And then we uh, thought, why don't we do it with them? Um, you know, kid, there were, I had like a hundred kids from 14 to 18 on stage and they're all really focused. And, and it was just a great uh, opportunity to say, you know, this is how powerful music can be for kids. I know how powerful it was for me as a kid to be able to play an instrument and uh, keep music in school, you know, get rid of math. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would have sort of done what? well for me. What was your high school <laughs> yeah. career like? Do you remember? Uh, not good. I was kicked out of uh, 11th grade. And, uh, <laughs> it, was, it was partly algebra's fault. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Rick, when you, you know, what I like about this is that every fan of an artist likes to see the rare footage, the concert from 20 years ago, the meet and greets, the you, you know, brush with someone else famous when it comes to rare you know the rare footage did you have where you know back in the day were you collecting it was it in a vault who was keeping track of that uh i don't keep track of that kind of stuff that's uh you know i just i guess rely on it being out there and it seems to always you know especially with youtube and that you can pretty much find anything that that was filmed at some point 
So, uh, yeah, I don't really, I've never been one to keep that kind of stuff. I actually had all my platinum and gold records out in the shed and they all got rained on. So I <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you remember uh, your first acting gig and do you remember the first gigs that you tried out for and didn't get? First gig I tried out for, wow. I think it was, uh, yeah, I do remember. Actually, it was that Pretty Baby, the Brooke Shields thing. I tried out for that and uh, and didn't get it. But the first gig I did get it was Six Million Dollar Man. And oh, I was wow. totally shocked that I actually got it. <laughs> yeah, that was such a cool and show. And, of course, nobody wore a white coat like you on GH. Yeah, well, it was off-white. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't okay. And you made a you came back though, right, Rick? Are you when did you come back and how long was your story arc when you came back in the two what is it, after two thousand ten, right? Uh yeah, I came I came back for the the fiftieth anniversary just because it seemed like the right thing to do. I I you know, it was very important in my initial surge in my career. Um it only came back for about a couple two months, I think it was. But, okay. uh, you know, it is it's so many people on a soap that it's, right. uh, you couldn't really get into any kind of storylines and no one, I think, needs another soap, soap actor. So it's a lot of work, actually. It's really very difficult show because to do because there's so much, it's all dialogue and it's all, for me, it was always about line memorization. I never really kind of got through to the acting part. Whereas, you know, when you do nighttime stuff on movies, you get, uh, you get more time to work on the character. So it's more, more rewarding. And I want to ask you, too, before we let you go here, Magnificent Vibration. I find it fascinating that an artist such as yourself, no ghostwriter on this. This is all you. It was your first novel, and then uh, the uh, sequel just came out. A writer like that, that, speaking of a lot of work, that's a tough gig, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, fun, though. I can do it anywhere. I love writing. Plays. Yeah. It's, uh, World on Fire is uh, it's on Audible, um, and I narrate it, and it's... Uh, it's a follow-up to, to Magnificent Vibration, but it's about uh, a pandemic, basically. It's, it's, it's dark humor. It's, uh, um, and I started it six years ago, but I finished it during the lockdown, so that was pretty, pretty strange to wow. be writing a, a book about a pandemic yeah. during a pandemic. No doubt. It involves God and aliens and all kinds of, you know, it uh -huh. really goes out. It's very out there. Or orchestrating my life's coming up on pay-per-view on Valentine's Day. When you, with so many hits and working class dog, and then it was album after album after album and hits, when you were doing it, like it was almost like once a year, probably shorter than that. Was that by design by you or was the record company and your management going, Pushing all right, we, we got someone hot here. We got to go, go, go. No, it was really because I was a writer. It was, I never felt like after working class dog, I never felt any pressure. I just, started writing more songs and when I had enough I went in and did an album and that was the way it always was I I never really had anyone going come on man we need an album you know it's it, I was pretty I was writing a lot back then so it was it time you know I, I I was timely with my writing but uh, yeah I never really felt any any pressure from it because I always uh, writing is my core and I've always loved uh, all types of writing so it was just something that I naturally do when you go back to that time, who do who was a contemporary of yours, maybe that you were always a big fan of? Who does Rick Springfield listen to? Uh, back then, uh, Peter, I was a big fan of Peter Gabriel. Uh -huh. I still am. I loved him. Yeah, um, very adventurous. I, I, I'd listen to stuff that was different from mine. Like I'd listen to Devo and 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 just 
mm-hmm. weirder stuff than than the straight pop stuff that I was writing. Yeah, well, being from Australia, have you seen that new, uh, what is it, the Bee Gees documentary? Boy, I was never a big Bee Gees yeah. guy, but boy, has that done well. Oh, that, boy. They're the... Uh, they're my favorite writers after Lennon McCartney. They, you know, they they had they had three giant careers. They had a career in <laughs> Australia, You're right? Then they had a then they had the whole Massachusetts career of ballads, and then they had a bigger career with disco. So I think they're amazing, and they transcended disco. I mean, I hated disco songs, but right? They transcended it certainly. Some of their stuff is just so beautiful. And um, I was doing a show up. Uh, in Vegas, and uh, and Robin came by and said hi, and he did. They just he was just a great guy, and uh, um, I just you know it's a, kind of a tragic story part of it that they a lot of them went so early, but um, Barry was always the kind of a, the the center, so it's, right. I think it's 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 great to see him enjoying his his success now. Kind yeah. of like like Paul, we all want Paul McCartney to enjoy his success. And uh, so it's great to see that. I love to see him. Yeah, I think Barry kind of got a little uh, boost from that, uh, you know, from that film, no doubt about it. Well, thank you so much, Rick. View it on uh, pay-per-view Valentine's Day, orchestrating my life. Look forward to it. It sounds really cool. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it.